greetings, brethren. It's a privilege to speak to you on the Feast of Trumpets, about the Feast of Trumpets, and also review why we are here on the Feast of Trumpets. Brethren, we are approaching one of the most incredible periods of time in the history of the world. We're looking forward to an event that is literally going to change the course of history for the whole world, and is going to change forever. Yet it's amazing that the world around us is pretty much oblivious of what is coming down the road. They don't understand what is coming. Yet God has given us the privilege to understand what is coming ahead. Now, brethren, the reason that we can begin to understand what is ahead is because we have been commanded to keep the biblical holy days. And God has given us his spirit, which we read in John 14, 15, and 16, will lead us and guide us into all truth. The reason that the world is lacking in understanding, the reason the world is in the dark, really, about what is coming and what is coming in the years ahead is that the world is not being led by God's spirit. The world is being led by a totally different spirit. The world is being totally deceived by a spirit that permeates this world that we read about in the scriptures. But the world is in the dark, and this has to do with the people on the, in, in the media, in television, radio, writing the articles in many press releases. They do not understand about the biblical holy days. They don't understand what those biblical holy days picture. They don't understand what those holy days mean because... The world has been told, especially the professing Christian world, they have been told that the holy days are done away with, that Christ came to nail these things to the cross. So as a result, they don't understand what these holy days picture. But we're going to be talking about those things today. The world has been told basically that the holy days have been done away with. They're part of an old covenant. They're not relevant to us today, in spite of the fact that Jesus Christ made the comment in John chapter 5 and verse 17. I'd encourage you to turn there and look at that. Again, the world has been told, especially the profession Christian world, that the holy days have been done away with. They're not relevant today to modern-day Christians. Uh, they, um, They just don't need to be followed today. And yet Jesus Christ made the statement in John 5, verse 17. He said, Think not, don't think that I came to come or that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to nail them to the cross. I didn't come to do away with these uh, things, the law or the prophets. I am come not to destroy, but to fulfill. I didn't come to destroy them, nail them to the cross, but I came to fulfill them. The word in the Greek means to to complete them or bring to completion or literally to magnify the law and make it holy. You can read that in Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 21. It says that Christ will come to magnify the law and make it honorable or to expand it, not just physically, but physically and spiritually. So Jesus Christ did not come to do away with the law or the prophets. He came to complete them, uh, to, to fill them to the full, as the uh, Bible translates. So in the sermon today on the Feast of Trumpets, 
I want to talk about the meaning of the Feast of Trumpets. Why do we do it? When uh, I also talk about why are they commanded? Because we're commanded to keep these biblical holy days, even though the world doesn't. The world keeps Christmas, it keeps Easter, it keeps Halloween, a number of these things. But we have been commanded as the children of God to keep the biblical holy days because those biblical holy days will remind us of the plan of God and keep us forgetting from forgetting the plan of God and the purpose of God. So I want to talk about the Feast of Trumpets today, what it means. And I've entitled it the Feast of Trumpets, the ultimate turning point in the history of the world. The Feast of Trumpets, the ultimate turning point in the history of the world. Or you could write it in your notes, the Feast of Trumpets, the ultimate turning point. So what I'd like to ask in the very beginning, why are we here? And Mr. Armstrong used to ask this question all the time at the Feast of Tabernacles, but I want to ask it here as we gather together for the Feast of Trumpets. Why do we keep the biblical holy days? Why do we keep them? Why are they commanded? Let's go back to Leviticus 23. Leviticus chapter 23. The Israelites were coming out of Egypt at this point in time. God was setting up the nation of Israel. And he's giving them a constitution. He's giving them a series of guidelines that would make them different from anybody else in the face of the earth. It would keep them mindful of a plan and purpose that God is working out. And what's interesting in Leviticus 23, we find the holy days or the festivals listed there. And in some cases, the meaning is explained. In other cases, they're not explained there. You have to go to other chapters in the Bible. But in Leviticus 23, it mentions there verse 1, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I speak, speak unto the children of Israel, tell them, say unto them concerning the feasts of the Lord, not the feasts of the Jews, but explain the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. That means a commanded assembly. Holy convocations, a commanded assembly, even these are my feasts. Now, when I was in college, We had a convocation every Wednesday morning. I went to a Protestant uh, college, and we had a chapel service. It was called uh, a convocation every Wednesday morning. And we had to go. We were required to go. We had assigned seats. And if we did not sit in the assigned seat, then we were counted absent. And we were allowed three chapel cuts uh, a semester. And if we went more than that, they would lower our grade by a letter in all of our classes. So if I was getting an A or a B and I had more than three chapel cuts, I would wind up with a C. It would just, we had to be there. It was a required assembly. It was, uh, a whole, it was a convocation, which means a required assembly. Now, why does God want us here? Because he wants us to remember these holy days and remember what they picture. That's why we're commanded to be here. It's interesting, you read down through here, it talks about the Sabbath, it talks about the the Passover, it talks about the Days of Unleavened Bread, uh, and it mentions several different places. Verse 14, for example, is to be a statute forever, something we need to remember and do forever. And this is mentioned three or four times through the uh, chapter 23, that these are statutes forever. They're holy convocations, statutes forever. But I want you to uh, 
just keep in mind how important this is. These were the instructions that God gave to ancient Israel coming out of Egypt. But they didn't follow God's way. They forgot. They turned away. And then God sent prophets. Remember, Jesus said that I did not come away to destroy the law or the prophets. He didn't come to do away with Leviticus. He did not come to do away with the messages and the warnings of the prophets. You can turn to Ezekiel chapter 20, where the elders of Israel came before Ezekiel to seek God. Now, these were Israelites, actually primarily Jews, that were carried away to Babylon. That's where Ezekiel was. You know, Daniel was in the, uh, the, 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 the palace in Babylon. Um, but Ezekiel was out in the countryside among the Israelites. But the elders came to him seeking God. And what he told them was, you have turned away from God unless you repent and change. You're going to go into captivity. Because you have, one of the things he said was, you have defiled my Sabbaths. Not just the weekly Sabbath, but the holy days. These are high Sabbaths. He said, you're going to go into captivity because you defiled my Sabbaths. And they did. Now, the Jews learned a lesson when they were carried into captivity. But he's talking to the the whole house of Israel. And the the, the bulk of the house of Israel had been carried captive to Assyria over a 100 years before. So this message that Ezekiel was giving to the elders of Israel was really for us today. It was really for us today. So we need to learn some of the same lessons. But they were told, they were told that you're going to be suffering, you're going to go into captivity because you have defiled my Sabbaths, including the holy days. Now, many people think that these holy days have been done away with. Um, But when you go to the New Testament, you go to the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 4, it talks about Jesus' parents uh, coming up to Jerusalem uh, every year at the Passover. And they brought Jesus with him. So Jesus was keeping the Passover with his parents as a child growing up. And he learned that they were to keep the Sabbath because this was in, in in the... keep the Passover, the Sabbath, and the Passover, and the Holy Days, uh, because those were commanded by God. So Jesus grew up keeping the Sabbaths, keeping the weekly Sabbath, keeping the annual Sabbaths, the Holy Days, the Passover, and others. Uh, And some people say, well, the reason he did that is because he was a Jew, and he was just following uh, Jewish traditions. But if you go to Luke chapter 22, Luke 22, Verses 15 and 16, Jesus was preparing his disciples to keep the Passover. He told them, you go find a a place and uh, set up for observing the Passover. And then at the Passover meal, now you say, well, he's still Jewish, but he's been working with his disciples for about three and a half years. So he's teaching them God's way of life, what uh, needs to be followed. But notice in Luke chapter 22, verses 15 and 16, um, Jesus is talking with his disciples during the Passover meal. He said, he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before before I suffer. So Jesus said, I've been looking forward to keeping this meal with you. I've been looking forward to keeping this with you. 
But I say unto you, I will not eat this anymore until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. We're not going to be doing this together because he was going to die uh, the very next day. But he said, I was looking forward to keeping this Passover with you, and I'm looking forward to doing it again with you in the coming kingdom of God. So these have not been done away with. Now, we're just talking about the Passover here, but it applies to all of the holy days. It applies to all of the holy days. You know, Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 7, maybe read the whole chapter, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles was coming. And he told his disciples, you go, you go up to the feast. Now, he remained behind just a little bit so he wouldn't be noticed. But then he came up later and spoke at the feast. He spoke at the feast. So Jesus grew up keeping the biblical holy days. Uh, He told his disciples to do the same thing. Now, some people say, well, this is all done away with, so we don't have to do it now. But if you go to Isaiah chapter 66, Isaiah chapter 66, Isaiah is writing here about what things are going to be like in the coming kingdom of God, in the coming kingdom of God when Christ returns. Now, notice in verse 23, it says, It'll come to pass that from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come and worship before me, says the Lord. So in the coming kingdom of God, the whole world is going to learn about the holy days. The whole world is going to learn about the Sabbath. The whole world is going to begin keeping the Sabbath and the annual holy days. So the Bible tells us this tells us this very plainly. Um, So why do we keep the holy days? Why do we keep the Passover? Why do we keep the Feast of Trumpets? Why do we observe the Day of Atonement? Why do we keep the Feast of Tabernacles? Because these are commanded assemblies. They're commanded assemblies. And as we keep these days, we're reminded constantly of what these holy days mean. He was talking with a friend one time. He had left the church and had stopped keeping the holy days. He said, well, how are things going? <clears throat> and I said, well, we're preparing for the feast. And he said, oh, yeah, the feast. I'd forgotten all about that. When you stop keeping the feast, when you stop keeping any of these holy days, you basically forget them. And you find something else that will replace those days. It might be Christmas, might be Easter. But Christmas and Easter have nothing to do with the plan of God. Yes, Jesus was born, but he was not born on December 25th. Uh, He was not raised on Sunday morning. He actually was raised probably Saturday afternoon, late afternoon, before the Sabbath ended. So what we're finding here in the Bible is that Jesus kept the holy days. He kept the Sabbath. He kept the holy days. The early church kept the Sabbath and the holy days. And we keep those today because we're commanded to do that so that we don't forget what God has outlined. So the Bible tells us very plainly to keep the biblical holy days. And in terms of trumpets, let's go back to Isaiah, excuse me, let's go back to Leviticus 23 again. Uh, Because the Feast of Trumpets is very interesting whenever we look at the instructions that were given. Leviticus 23. There are only two verses in Leviticus 23 that refer to the Feast of Trumpets or the Festival of Trumpets. Beginning in verse 24 and 25, 
So speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month on the first day, so this is on the Hebrew calendar, on the first day of the seventh month you shall have a Sabbath, a memorial of the blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. So a commanded assembly, uh, a memorial, a remembering of the blowing of trumpets. You don't do any servile work. You don't do any uh, 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 servile work. It's, it's stuff that you just do regularly. Uh, and therefore, an offering should be made. Now, we make by fire. We make an offering uh, financially, but we don't have a temple, so we're not burning anything. But we only have two verses that tell us about the Feast of uh, Trumpets. So what does it mean? There are several other places in the Bible that talk about trumpets. If you go to Numbers chapter 10, you know, we've got to look at other places in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament to understand what the meaning is of the Feast of, Trump- of Trumpets. Because the Bible doesn't tell us in these verses what it means. And it's the same way with the Passover. You go to other uh, verses to understand the meaning. But a couple of places in the Old Testament that uh, point to the meaning of the Feast of Trumpets. In Numbers chapter 10, uh, trumpets were blown for several reasons. You can check this on your own. Trumpets were blown to call an assembly. If you want to have a big meeting, you want to get all the tribes together, and they were camped around the tabernacle. Three on one side, three on another side, three over here, three over there. So you had 12 tribes uh, arranged around the tabernacle. And when they wanted to call a big meeting of the leaders, they would blow the trumpets, and the leaders would come together. So calling for an assembly. Uh, when you go to summer camps, sometimes, especially Boy Scouts, they will play Reveille in the morning where they wake everybody up with a trumpet's blast. They do that in the Army and the Navy and places like that. And when you're going to bed, they blow taps, which uh, basically sign lights out, go to sleep. But trumpets are used for a number of things. Calling an assembly. If you're marching down someplace and you want to turn out to the right or the left, they blow the trumpets again to give direction. You're going to be changing direction. If uh, there's a warning about a warning about a war that's coming, some danger, they would blow the trumpets. So the trumpets are blown for a time of war to announce something is coming. But also trumpets were blown at the beginning of every month. This is how you kept people or how people were able to keep track of the beginning of another month. And it's critical in the seventh month. Uh, the Feast of uh, Trumpets is the first day of the seventh month. So to be blowing the trumpets on the first day of the seventh month uh, to announce the beginning of the month, but also to announce a holy day. And trumpets were blown to announce the holy days. So this was the use of trumpets. But now if we go to Joel, the prophet Joel, we begin to see how blowing the trumpets fits into the plan of God. In Joel chapter 2, it says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm in my holy mountain, that's in the Jerusalem area, And let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord comes. So trumpets are going to be blown on the day of the Lord. This is when Christ returns and things begin to happen. Um, It was to announce the Feast of Trumpets. A day of darkness, a day of gloominess, a day of clouds and thick things, and great people and strong and so on. So the Feast of Trumpets announces the... uh, 
a war that's coming, the tribulation that's coming, but it's to be blown at the day of the Lord. If we go to Isaiah chapter 27, Isaiah chapter 27. So we're going to be seeing in the Old Testament why trumpets were blown, not just for assembly, but for very significant causes, very significant reasons. Isaiah 27. And verse 12, Isaiah 27, verse 12, it shall come to pass in that day. It says the Lord will beat off from the channel of the river unto the stream of Egypt. And this word here means he threshes. Uh, He's going to thresh the area. My uncle had a farm and years ago they had what they called a threshing machine that would cut the wheat and it was also then shake it and get the wheat kernels away from the uh, the, the shaft, of the wheat and the chaff. But a threshing machine goes over a field, and a field looks very different once you've gone over it with a threshing machine. And that's what this word means. He's going to thresh from the river, and that's from the Euphrates, basically in the Babylon area, the whole way back to Egypt. He's going to clear out the land. He's going to thresh the land. And you shall be gathered, talking to the Israelites, one by one, O you children of Israel, so God is going to thresh the land and gather, regather the Israelites. And this is in the context of blowing a trumpet around the feast, around the feast of trumpets. And it will come to pass in that day, the great trumpet shall be blown. And they, the Israelites, shall come, which were ready to perish in Assyria and the outcasts in the land of Egypt. And they shall worship the Lord in the holy mountain in Jerusalem. So the Bible tells us in Isaiah and also in Joel that there's going to be a regathering of the Israelites. The trumpet's going to be blown at the day of the Lord when Christ returns. This is when uh, this is what this, these trumpets mean. It's what they picture. But then some people will say, but this is the Old Testament. This is the Old Testament. We're not commanded to do this in the New Testament. Well, God's laws don't change. Jesus did not come back to destroy the law or the prophets, but to magnify and explain the meaning in a much clearer way. If you go to Matthew 24, Matthew picks up on this same theme, the same thing. Jesus' disciples ask him in Matthew 24, verse 3, what's going to be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? How are we going to know we're getting close to the end of the age? And Jesus tells them, watch for a whole series of things, a whole series of signs. But down in verse um, 21, let's start there. talks about uh, all these signs are going to occur. And then it says, verse 21, there shall be great tribulation, such as, such as was not since the beginning of the world, nor ever shall be. In other words, we're at the end of the age, we're going to be approaching um, as we approach the end of the age, we're going to hit a period of time that is, is terrible. That is terrible. Things are going to be happening like have never happened before. But notice in verse 22, and except those days should be shortened, unless Christ returns, stops everything, there would be no flesh saved on this earth. Now, you probably noticed in recent months, uh, with the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. They're talking about, well, this could lead to a nuclear exchange. It could lead to another World War III. This is what we're talking about today, concerns. Uh, 
And if those things happen, usually when it starts, it's hard to stop. But Jesus mentions here, except those days should be shortened, there no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake. Those that God is calling out of this world to prepare to reign with Jesus Christ, this is one of the reasons Christ is coming back for the elect's sake, as we will see. Verse 24, it says, There shall arise false Christ, false prophets, and do signs and wonders, that if it were possible, they could even deceive the very elect. That does not mean that the elect cannot be deceived. You've seen and I've seen people come in and understand the truth, then they leave because they get caught up in this or they get caught up in that. It is possible to be deceived if we're not careful. We've got to be alert. The Bible talks about watching and being very careful, being alert. Don't be deceived. We're told not to be deceived. But if it would be possible, if we're not watching, if we get caught up in worldly uh, events and so on, we could be deceived. But then in verse 27, for as lightning comes out of the east and out of the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. It's going to be a shock. You know, when you hear thunder and all of you see a lightning bolt, uh, most people jump because they're surprised. And what we're being told here is as lightning comes from the east and the west and shines even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Uh, then in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation um, of those days, the sun will be darkened, there will be signs in the heavens. And then in verse 30, and then it shall appear, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall the tribes of the earth mourn. They're not going to be happy about all of this. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. In other words, other phrases that, you, that relate to this indicate this is going to be a time of judgment. He's coming back to judge the earth, as we will see. And he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. So Joel was talking about the sound of a trumpet. Isaiah was talking about a sign of, of the sound of the trumpet. And here Matthew is talking about the same thing in the context of the return of Jesus Christ. This is part of the meaning of the Feast of Trumpets. It's the time when Christ is going to return. Let's notice again what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 15, excuse me. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 51, 52, 53. And Paul says, I want to show you a mystery. Now, the plan of God, as pictured in the biblical holy days, is a mystery to the world because they've not been given God's spirit. They don't understand it. Uh, even theologians that uh, read the Bible and try and teach from it, uh, if without being led by God's spirit, they're not going to understand. So Paul was mentioning even in his time, 2,000 years ago, the religious leaders did not understand the plan of God. But he says, in his writing to the church in Corinth, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. Now, people ask today, well, what happens when I die? I was just talking to a person recently. The lady said, what happens when we die? She's learning about the truth. Paul says, we will not all sleep, but we shall be changed. And that change, he says, is going to come in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump at the last trumpet sound, the sounding of the last trumpet. The dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. There's going to be a resurrection, a resurrection at that time when Christ returns. 
This corruptible, this physical body must put on incorruption, and this mortal, like I am and you are, must put on immortality. Immortality. There's going to be a resurrection to eternal life. This is what's going to happen when this trumpet blows and Christ returns and his resurrection occurs. Um, Let's look at one other scripture in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 4. Now, Paul again is talking about this mystery, explaining what's coming down the road, what happens when you die, uh, and what happens in the future. And Paul is just trying to explain to the church in Thessalonica. He says, But I would not have you uh, ignorant, brethren, concerning those that are asleep. And some people say, What happens to my grandmother, my grandfather? What happens to people when they die? I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those which are asleep. Don't sorrow, even as others who have no hope. Yeah, I went to a funeral one time when I was in graduate school. Uh, it was a, a different uh, religious group that was organized that was operating the school. And one of the faculty members' daughter died very suddenly. She was probably in her 20s. And uh, they should have understood about the the resurrection. I don't know that they did, but there was a lot of tears and, and emotion. And I started to cry, and I didn't even know her because of some of the things that were being said. But there's a hope. When a person dies, we understand they, they go into the grave and they go to sleep. And if they followed God's way, they're going to be resurrected when Christ returns with a new body. It's going to be a very exciting thing. And in the second resurrection, probably friends and relatives that you knew growing up that never understood the truth, they're going to come up in a resurrection. And I think we'd all like to be there to say, welcome back. Now let me explain what I get into. Let me explain what's going on here. It's going to be very exciting. So there's a lot of hope in the future. But Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of what happens when uh, people die. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so even so them also which sleep in Jesus, people that are converted and they die, God will bring with him, bring them back to life. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain up to the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede those which are asleep. For the Lord himself, now notice this gets back into what we're talking about, about a trumpet. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God. So Paul said at the last trump, there's going to be resurrection. Paul is saying here about a resurrection. that's going to occur when the trumpet is blown and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord, and so shall we ever be with him. Now, where is this? Where are we going to be with Christ? What we read in Zechariah 14 and verse 4, it says he's going to descend and his feet are going to stand on the Mount of Olives. He's coming back to this earth. And Revelation talks about those that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. So this is the the future that we can begin to focus on when we understand the plan of God as pictured by the Feast of Trumpets. There's going to be a trumpet blowing. Christ is going to return. There's going to be a resurrection. 
and uh, we're going to be with Christ on this earth to reign with him. Let's go also to Revelation chapter 11. We, again, it talks about trumpets. So the New Testament really explains more about the Feast of Trumpets than we read in Leviticus 23, and for that matter, what we read, what we read in the Old Testament. In Revelation chapter 11, now let's just back up very quickly here. In Revelation chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, it talks about seven angels are going to be blowing seven trumpets. Revelation 8, seven angels are going to be blowing seven trumpets. And when we get to Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, it says, The seventh angel sounded. So here's the seventh angel blowing on the seventh trumpet. The seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, and the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. This is when Christ returns, sets up his government in Jerusalem, and reigns over this earth, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, this occurs at the blowing of the seventh trumpet. It mentions the, uh, then the nations were angry, his wrath has come, and a time of the dead that they should be judged. So Christ is coming back to judge the world. He's coming back to judge the nations of Israel, that thou should give, and that he should give his reward to his servants and the prophets. So Christ is coming back to reward his servants and reward the prophets for what they've done. Uh, there's going to be a crown that's passed out, Revelation chapter 3, to those that are faithful and with him. So he's coming back to give rewards uh, to the servants, the prophets, and to the saints. You, you and I have been called to become saints. You know, Saints are not people that have been uh, um, canonized by the Vatican. Uh, Paul addresses the churches as saints or called to be saints. So it talks about a reward here given to the, the saints, and this is going to come on the Feast of Trumpets, and to them that fear the, the, his name, small and great, and he's going to destroy them that destroy the earth or deceive the earth, people on the earth. So Christ is coming back for with rewards and with consequences. But all of this occurs in the context of the Feast of Trumpets. When trumpets are blown, the seventh trumpet is blown. So what is it about the trumpets that we need to understand? The Old Testament doesn't fully explain the Feast of Trumpets. But the New Testament adds dimensions that are not found in the Old Testament. And it's talking about the return of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of the saints, and the setting up of the kingdom of God on this earth. This is what the Feast of Trumpets is all about. And when you stop keeping the Feast of Trumpets, oh, it's Old Testament, it's not required today, uh, then you lose sight of this incredible dimension of what the Feast of Trumpets actually means. It's a very exciting time. Now let's ask a few other questions here and focus on some things. How does the Feast of Trumpets relate to us? How does it relate to you and me? Now we've already read in First Thessalonians uh, that it's going to come back as a thief in the night. Christ is coming back as a thief in the night. It's going to be a surprise. People are not going to be expecting it. Uh, and it's going to catch a, a lot of people off guard. Actually, the scripture that uh, I wanted to talk about here is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, because Paul continues his discussion from chapter 4, talking about the trumpet being blown, 
uh, Christ returning. But in verse 1 of chapter 5, this is, but the, of the times and the seasons, brethren, we have no need to write to you. In other words, you should understand these things. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. People are not going to be prepared. They're going to be surprised. You know, one time, shortly after my wife and I got married, and we were living in an apartment in Pasadena. And it was a, a long building and it had a long porch out in the front with the apartments along that porch. And one night in the summertime, we didn't have a big air conditioner there, so it was warm. We had the front uh, sliding glass door open, actually the screen. No, the, the door was open. We had the screen closed. So we watched a movie or something and then went to bed, and we forgot to shut the sliding glass door and lock it, which we normally did. So we went to bed, went to sleep, I don't know, about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, I kind of half awoke, and I had this feeling there's one too many people in the bedroom. There's one too many people here. I had a metal bookcase in the corner, and I had my car keys and some change on that, and he must have rattled that. And when I woke up, I kind of looked over there, and I saw this shadow in our bedroom. And it was it was unnerving. Uh, I didn't have any way to defend myself. Uh, so I just made my voice as low as I could make it go, and I said, get out of here. And the guy jumped, and I, I jumped, and my wife screamed. <laughs> he ran for the door, and as he went out the door, he kind of bumped it a little bit. So whenever I started through the door, I ran smack right into the door, which is probably a good thing, because if I would have grabbed a hold of him, we would have probably had a fight, and I don't know what would have happened after that. So by the time I kind of recover uh, from my dazed uh, collision with the edge of the door, uh, I got to the front door, and he was gone. I could see him going down the, the, the porch and then down the stairs and out, to the, uh, out of the building. But he came in as a thief of the night, and we didn't sleep very well for the next couple of nights because it was just afraid that somebody else was going to break in. But what Paul is talking about here, the return of Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. People are not going to be prepared. Now, why is that? Well, when you listen to news broadcasts today, whenever you read stuff on the Internet, nobody's really talking about the return of Jesus Christ. They're talking about a great reset uh, that Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab and these people are going to try and pull off to, to save the world. You know, reorient everything, restructure everything, reset everything. This is our opportunity. They're looking for physical interventions by physical human beings to solve the world's problems. Yet if we go back to Matthew chapter 24, talking about what's going to be happening when Christ returns. Matthew chapter 24. And we need to think about these things because we're going to be facing these decisions and facing these events, watching these events in probably the not too distant future. Matthew 24 verse 31 talks about this great sound of a trumpet. Christ is going to return. We get down to verse 37. Jesus gives several examples here. He says, But as in the days of Noah were, or as the days of Noah were, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. When you go back and you read Genesis chapter 6, what things were like in the days of Noah. It talks about the earth was filled with violence, what's happening today in our world. The world is filled with corruption 
what's happening today in our world, all the corruption in government, the corruption in business, uh, corruption in theology. Uh, all these things are happening. But it also says in Genesis chapter 6, is that every thought of people was evil. Every thought. You know, when you turn on your computer, what pops up on the screen? A whole lot of stuff you don't want to see or don't want to read about. Uh, advertisements, trends. Uh, it's evil, the things that are happening today. When you compare what's happening today what, which, to what happened in colonial America, especially in Protestant uh, Puritan New England, uh, is very different. You know, John Adams, second president of the United States, read about five chapters a day in the Bible. Now, you can't read five chapters every day without some of what you're reading sticking in your brain and influencing how you think. Today, the leaders in many countries, read Machiavelli. He was a writer back in the 14-1500s talking about here's how you gain power. You kill all your enemies <laughs> and you kill your friends. You kill anybody that is a threat to you. This is how you get power and how you hold on to it. A number of our presidents, more recent ones, are reading and have read Machiavelli. Uh, very different. And that's why our societies are different today from what they were 200 years ago. Because our values are very different today. But you read a little bit about what, what it was like in Noah's day, and Jesus said, it's going to be the same way just before I return. It's going to be the same way. So the Bible talks about why Jesus Christ is coming back. It talks about what conditions are going to be like. But I'd asked the question earlier, why are people going to be surprised? They're going to be surprised because nobody's talking about it. People have been told the biblical holy days are done away with. You don't have to worry about those things anymore. We keep Christmas. We keep Easter. We, we talk about how Jesus loves us if you're a, a professing Christian. And if you're not a professing Christian, um, <clears throat> you don't talk about these things. The return of Jesus Christ is a biblical idea. It comes from the pages of the Bible. But if people are told the Bible is just a bunch of fairy tales, it's a fable. I came across an article some years ago in a news magazine uh, was basically asking the question, will he ever return? Will Christ ever come back? If you don't believe in God and you don't believe in the Bible, you're not even worried about this. But notice in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter's writing about things in the future, what things are going to be like in the future. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, Peter says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? In the last days, they're going to be talking about these things. Will he ever return? The article that I came across a couple years ago scoffing at people, laughing at people that believe that Christ is going to come back. You know, we need to, to realize what the Bible is talking about and how that fits with us today. You know, Bill Gates is not looking for the return of Jesus Christ. Klaus Schwab with the World Economic Forum is not looking for the return of Jesus Christ to solve problems. You know, Mr. Gates says he likes to solve problems. So he wants to develop vaccines that will take care of any disease that comes along. 
we're running out of food. Uh, he wants to have everybody eating uh, fungi burgers, <laughs> hamburgers made out of uh, mushrooms, things like that, so that we don't have to waste uh, a lot of energy raising cattle. These are human ideas to try and solve the problems of mankind. But we're not looking, we're not being told about what is coming and why it's coming. There's another scripture back in Jeremiah. You might want to read Jeremiah chapter 2. Read the whole chapter. It's kind of a summary of <clears throat> Israel's problems. Notice in verse 2 of chapter 2, it says, "Go." And this was Jeremiah's commission, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem. Uh, saying that uh, I remember you talking about God remembering Israel uh, when Israel was holy, and yet they've turned away from God. Down in verse 4, Hear o, the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. So this is not just written to the Jews. It's written to the whole house of Israel. It talks about you've turned away from me, you've forgotten me. But notice in verse 8, it says, The priest said, Where is the priest said not, or the priest didn't say, where is the Lord? They that handle the law knew me not. The individuals that were charged, the Levites and the priests, that were charged with teaching people the word of God, uh, God says here, they don't know who I am. They don't know me. And yet they're trying to preach to people and teach people. Later, I think it's in Jeremiah 5, it talks about that the priests are, are full of hot air. They like to talk, but they don't talk about the Bible. I saw something recently where a considerable percentage of professing Christian ministers don't really believe what's in the Bible. It's just a book. It's just a book. So those that handle the law, the word here for handle in Hebrew is tapas, T-A-P-A-S. You know, if you have a bow and arrow, you learn how to handle it. You learn how to use it. And what he's saying here, the people that handle the law, that are supposed to be teaching the principles of the law, don't know me. Don't know me. But you know, it's interesting in the book of Ezekiel that when God begins to intervene in the affairs of this world, it says about 50 times in the book of Ezekiel, when I do these things, they shall know that I am God. The world is going to realize there is a real God. The world is going to realize at a point in time that the Bible is the inspired word of God. And the prophecies in the Bible are things that are really going to happen. And the Feast of Trumpets pictures a time when God begins to intervene to correct the nations of Israel, to punish nations that have been blessed as much as we have. And Jesus Christ is going to return to bring peace to this earth. So this is what's coming. As we mentioned in, uh, let's look at one other scripture in Hosea chapter 8. Hosea chapter 8. Hosea is writing about the same time as Isaiah wrote, and these were two books that were focused on the house of Israel. Um, <clears throat> Hosea chapter 8. I think about verse 12. 11, 12, 13, 14. <clears throat> talking about Israel has forgotten God. But in verse 12 it says, I have written him to Israel the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing, an outdated thing. 
uh, things have been done away with. This is how people view the Bible today in many cases. Well, yeah, it's a nice book, and I've got two or three at home, and you know, I, 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 I touch it every once in a while and maybe look at it. I read something recently, too, that um, about half of professing Christians, half of professing Christians read one verse or read the Bible once a year. Read the Bible once a year. Now, you're professing to believe in Jesus Christ, professing that the Bible is at least something unique. But if you don't read it, you're not going to understand what's there. You're not going to hear the warnings that are there. You're not going to catch the hope that is there. But what we're supposed to do on these holy days is to preach about and explain about and come to understand the meaning of these holy days. And we're talking about the Feast of Trumpets that pictures the return of Jesus Christ. But you're not hearing this on the news. You're not hearing this in many church services. You know, I grew up attending a Protestant, different Protestant churches for about 22 years, 23 years. I don't recall hearing any sermons from the local minister about prophecy. I think I heard one sermon by a traveling evangelist who was uh, a theologian, but he was talking about Russia attacking America. He never said anything about who the Americans are. He never said anything about our identity as a nation, whether it's America, Britain, Canada, uh, these other nations. He never said anything about the identity of how uh, Gentiles can become spiritual Israelites. Nothing. Nothing. I remember talking with another young fellow, and he was saying, I don't preach much about prophecy because I don't understand it. And yet he's a preacher. But people look at the Bible kind of strange, that uh, if you believe it and you're trying to follow it, they say, you go nuts. <laughs> because it's full of uh, uh, contradictions and nobody believes it anymore. It's not really relevant. These are the ideas floating around. But Hosea prophesied, and he's writing about 2,700 years ago. I have written him, Israel, the great things of my law. Those laws were delivered at Sinai. And when people, the Israelites, were around Sinai, there was an earthquake and there was fire. It was real fire. It was like a Fourth of July. God was getting their attention. He did the same thing to the nation of Egypt with the plagues. They began to realize, as the Egyptian wise men said, this is the finger of God when they could not duplicate what Moses was doing. They realized there was a power there greater than themselves than anything that they had. So I've written them the great things of my law, but they were considered a strange thing, outdated, done away with. Uh, this is how people view the Bible today. So, brethren, let's look at a couple of other things that we just need to be aware of that are going to be happening just prior to the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus listed a whole series of things in Matthew 24 and Mark 13. In Luke 21, a whole series of things to watch for. You know, it talks about wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom will rise against kingdom. The word for nation in the Greek in Matthew 24 is ethnos. So what it's talking about is one ethnic group will rise against another ethnic group. And that is happening today in big time, much more over the last five years or so. You know, Jesus also said a, a kingdom that's divided against itself, a kingdom divided against itself, like a house divided, cannot stand. And we are being divided today. 
And there's outside forces that are pushing this whole thing. There are Marxists involved and other people. What they want to do is get everybody fighting each other. We're fighting Republicans against Democrats, blacks against whites, uh, Christians against non-Christians, um, <clears throat> conservatives against liberals. And what it's doing is dividing our country. It's dividing our country. It's going to bring our country down. And this is what is prophesied. We've been saying these things for 50, 60, 70, almost 80 years about what is coming. In Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 20, Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26 are the blessings and the cursings. And these were the conditions of the covenant that God made with ancient Israel. And the covenant was really very simple. If you obey, you're going to be blessed. If you disobey my instructions, you don't follow my guidelines, my laws, there will be consequences. But in Deuteronomy 28, verse 20, God says, basically, it will come to pass if you don't listen to me. Verse 15, if you don't hearken to the voice of the Lord, all these curses will come upon you. But down in verse 20, he says, the Lord shall send upon you cursing, vexation, and rebuke you. And I'm reading from the King James, the old King James. In all that you set your hand to do, everything that you set out to do is going to go bad. Your President Trump, uh, his theme was make America great again. But where are we today? Just a couple of years later. We've got a food crisis. We've got a gasoline prices that are going up because we have... <laughs> Uh, stop building pipelines. We've put le uh, limits on leases for oil uh, areas. Uh, we're doing these things to ourselves, this invasion of Russia into the uh, Ukraine. Ukraine is a big exporter of fertilizers. So if we can't get fertilizers, if farmers can't get fertilizers uh, to fertilize the, the ground for their crops, and if gasoline prices or diesel prices increase, it becomes extremely expensive to raise crops. Now, we've got some resources here that, that uh, developing nations can't get a hold of because they don't have the capital to do it. But we're, we're in trouble today in many ways. We're promoting homosexuality. Uh, this is dividing the nation. Uh, the Supreme Court appears to be in, at least considering... Uh, um, allowing, uh, not allowing abortions, and there's people going to demonstrate against that and demonstrate for that, and this is another issue that's going to divide us. And this is being promoted and pushed by forces really outside the U.S. and some within the U.S. But it says, whatever you set your hand to do is going to be a curse. It's not going to turn out that way. Um, until you are destroyed, until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings, whereby you have forsaken me. We forget God. The consequences are going to come back upon us. But it says it's going to perish quickly. It's going to come down suddenly. And the Bible mentions about a half a dozen places in Isaiah, about a half a dozen places in Jeremiah, and at least once in Hosea, that these things are going to come suddenly. <clears throat> they're going to come suddenly. So we need to be watching because things are going to happen much quicker than we thought it would even be possible. In Jeremiah 30, it talks about a time of Jacob's trouble. 
You know, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Jacob had 12 sons. These 12 sons became 12 tribes and then 12 nations. And these are the Israelite nations. And it's talking about a time of Jacob's trouble, a time when all of the Israelite nations are in trouble. And it's going to come at the end of the age. But what's interesting when you read through Jeremiah 30, and especially the last verse in the chapter, the last verse in the chapter says, in the latter days you will consider these things. In the latter days all of this is going to make sense. See, these are things that are going to be happening and leading up to the return of Jesus Christ. He's going to have to come back at the blowing of the trumpet to intervene in world affairs to save things, to see, the, you know, to keep things from totally falling apart. But he's coming back in part to gather the elect, to regather Israel eventually, to judge Israel and to judge the world. So, brethren, this is what is happening. This is what is coming. Uh, some other prophecies, things are going to happen before Christ returns. You can go to Isaiah chapter 3. Let's go there just very quickly. Isaiah chapter 3. It's talking about the sins of Israel, and God's going to begin to intervene. But it talks about things that are going to happen as we approach the end of the age. Isaiah chapter 3, beginning verse 1, says, Behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, takes away from Jerusalem and from Judea, or from Judah, the stay and the staff. There's going to be problems of food security. Now, we've had bumper harvest over recent years. But with this uh, uh, lack of fertilizer this year, during this growing season, and with the increasing cost of gas and diesel, they're talking about real security food problems or food security problems as we approach the uh, end of the year. Now, at the Feast of Trumpets, we're going to have to see how this is going to be playing out for the rest of the year. But he's going to take away the stay in the staff. There's going to be problems of food security uh, and water. It says the mighty man and the man of war and judge, in other words, the experienced leaders are going to be removed from the scene or leave the scene. You know, there are people in the military today that are extremely uh, specialized, but a lot of people are leaving the military, especially in the United States, because of the promotion of homosexuality, that we're all equal and everything like that. The experienced people are leaving. I was talking to a fellow in South Africa a year or so ago. He said the same thing is happening to the Army down there. He said back in the, what was the 70s or 80s, he said, we were on par with the Israelis in terms of the power of our military. He said, that's all changed. He says, that all has changed. In verse 4, it says, I will give children to be their princes. In other words, inexperienced people, politicians, that don't know the laws, don't understand the lessons of history. I will give these inexperienced people to be your princes, and babes will rule over them. Uh, the child would behave himself proudly against the ancient. Um, down to verse 9. The show of their countenance doth witness against them. In other words, the expressions on their faces and what they do, they declare their sin as Sodom, talking about our peoples today. You look up what was the reason that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. You go over there now, there's nothing there but piles of sand and rock. But it was once a thriving area through that that region. Uh, you know, Lot 
told Abraham, let me, let me go over there. You can go someplace else, but I'd like to go over there to Sodom and Gomorrah because it was thriving at that time. Apparently they were irrigating at that time. But they were also uh, practicing homosexuality wide open. And what we're doing is the same thing today. I saw an article just recently about a drag queen that has been ordained as a minister in the United Method- in the Methodist Church. And people are inviting him or her or whatever she is to come speak to them. He said being, uh, being queer is divine. The Bible says exactly the opposite. It said to be queer is an abomination. To have a homosexual relationship between a man or a woman, between men or between women, is an abomination. That's what God says about it. But that's not what we're saying today. I think it's just a matter of time until God pulls the plug. And that's going to happen at some point in time. I believe it's in Daniel 8 or Daniel 9 where it talks about uh, that God is going to come back, Christ is going to come back when the... um, transgressors have reached their fullness. When you look up some other translations, it says he's going to come back at a time when wickedness exceeds the limits of God's mercy. When the wickedness exceeds the limits of God's mercy, he's going to pull the plug, and that plug is going to be pulled when Christ returns at the Feast of Trumpets. This is why we need to be watching. This is why we need to be be aware of what's happening. Brethren, we keep the Feast of Trumpets because they're commanded assemblies. It's one of the commanded assemblies. We're to keep these holy days because they picture the plan of God. I had never heard that until I came in contact with the Church of God. I'd never heard it before. I'd kept Easter, I'd kept Christmas, I sang carols, I did all that stuff. But it was not until I came in contact with the Church of God that I learned about the biblical holy days. In fact, uh, I think one of the first sermons I heard on the Feast of Trumpets, which was the first holy day I ever kept, the minister went briefly through Leviticus 23, and he talked about each one of the biblical holy days and how they pictured the plan of God. And I remember an older fellow behind me after church, or after the sermon was over, tapped me on the shoulder and said, what do you think? I said, this man just blew my mind. This man, this minister, just blew my mind. I said, I've never heard anything like this. But it makes sense. It makes sense. You know, very quickly, the first three holy days, or festivals, uh, the Passover pictures the fact that Christ died for our sins. We don't deserve to be forgiven, but he he died so that we could be. Days of Unleavened Bread pictures putting sin out of our lives. We've got to develop the mind and the character of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2 says, Let this mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ. We develop that mind by praying about it, by reading the Scriptures, feeding on the Scriptures of God. And then the day of Pentecost pictures the outpouring of God's Spirit, which began the New Testament church. You know, Romans chapter 8 mentions that uh, without God's Spirit, we are not Christians. Without God's Spirit, we are not His. We receive God's Spirit when we repent, when when we're baptized, have hands laid on us. And then the minister asks that God would give us His Spirit. That's a promise. It's a gift, we're told. In Acts chapter 5, verse 32, said God gives 
his spirit to those who obey him. And it's a gift that God gives us at that time. But these first three festivals are historical. Christ died 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit came about that same time. But the last four holy days are prophetic. They have not happened yet. And trumpets is the turning point. It's the pivot point. Everything begins to happen from there on out. So the Feast of Trumpets is extremely important. That's why they're blowing the trumpets to wake people up and say, look, this is important. You need to pay attention to this. The Feast of Trumpets, as we saw, pictures the return of Jesus Christ. This trumpet is going to be blown, announcing what is coming, announcing this great change. This turning point in history has arrived. It's literally going to shake the world. So the Feast of Trumpets pictures that. The Day of Atonement pictures the binding of Satan. We're told this in Revelation chapter 20, first couple of verses. Christ is going to come back and bind Satan. He's the influence. He's the spirit that has deceived this world. He's going to be bound for a thousand years, so people are not going to be influenced by that spirit anymore. They're going to be influenced by God's spirit. And then comes the Feast of Tabernacles, picturing the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. This is the hope of the future. This is the hope of the future. And we can be part of that if we get with the program now. If God has opened your mind to understand the truth, work with that, grow with that, so that God can use you and you can be part of his coming kingdom. And then the last great day, and some people are debating about, well, is that really different or whatever? No, the last great day is a second resurrection that comes at the end of the millennium. Again, read Revelation chapter 20. When everyone who's ever lived is going to be resurrected and have a chance to learn, possibly about 100 years, another lifetime, in which to learn and compare. Well, we did it this way once. Look what happened. Let's try this way over here. So, brethren, these are the biblical holy days. We keep them because we're commanded to keep them. They're commanded assemblies. They're holy convocations. And we're here to review Because if we don't do these things, we're going to forget. And human beings are just like that. You know, I make notes to myself so I don't forget things. God has given us a book that we need to focus on so that we never forget what is in that book. I'd like to mention just a couple of other things. Turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 48. Luke chapter 12, verse 48. The latter part of that verse says, For whom much is given, for unto whom much is given, much will be required. For whom much is given, much will be required. We've been given an understanding of the plan of God. We've been called out of the darkness into light to understand what is coming. Don't take that lightly. Don't take that lightly. Don't walk away from it. You've been given an opportunity to understand the plan of God. God is not giving that opportunity to everyone right now. You know, Paul mentions in Romans, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26, 27, 28, he said, not many wise are being called right now, not many mighty. He's calling a few to begin to understand so they can grow and prepare to reign with Jesus Christ, and to let God mold you and fashion you so that you can become part of his family. To whom much is given, much will be required. What's required of us today is to grow and to learn, 
to preach the gospel to the world, not just get together in little groups and talk about Jesus. We are to be preaching the gospel of a coming kingdom of God to the world and warning about what's coming, but also preparing a people to reign with Jesus Christ. Brethren, we read in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, about six or seven times, Jesus said, watch, watch and be ready. We've been talking about what to watch for, the prophecies that are coming to pass. And to be ready means we have to be building relationship with God, drawing closer to God, understanding his way, understanding uh, what he wants us to do. Let's turn finally then to Matthew chapter 7. And a very sobering scripture to end with. But again, the Feast of Trumpets is a warning. It's a warning. It's a wake-up call. It's announcing that some big events are coming. In fact, the biggest event in the history of mankind is coming. If you've been called to understand the truth, don't take that lightly. Grow, prepare. But notice what Jesus was telling his disciples. Again, this is the Sermon on the Mount where Christ is talking with his disciples. He's trying to explain some things and help them understand. In verse 21... It says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. You know, keeping the commanded biblical holy days is the will of God. He doesn't want us to forget. He doesn't want us to lose out on our opportunity. But then he says again, Many will say to me in that day when Christ returns, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? preached sermons, preached sermonettes, did Bible studies, you know, did nice things for people. Um, cast out devils and in your name done many wonderful works. You know, I parked cars at the feast and I did this and I did that. But notice Jesus' response. Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. You, you never prayed very much. We never talked very much. You never really had time to study your Bible. Maybe we were one of those people that read the Bible once a year, a verse or two. You know, I thought I was a Christian growing up in high school and through college. My mom was a Sunday school teacher. My dad was a deacon and an elder. And I had memorized some scriptures, John 3.16, John 10.9, and a few other ones. And I thought I knew the Bible. I didn't know the Bible. I knew some things about it. I had one or two or maybe three, but I didn't know what was in the book. Brethren, we are approaching one of the most incredible periods of time in the history of this earth. Things are going to get very bad. Things are going to appear that uh, they're insolvable, the problems, but there's going to be people trying to figure it out. But we've been told that Jesus Christ is going to have to come back to solve the problems of this world. His return is going to be a surprise because people are not being prepared. They're not watching. They're not ready. That's why Jesus said several different times, five or six or seven times, watch and be ready. Watch and pray that you'll be ready. You use the time, brethren, uh, maybe even at the feast, to take some time to think about why are you going to the feast? Why are you keeping these biblical holy days? Do you understand what they mean but are you doing something about it? Are you preparing for the return of Jesus Christ? Will you be ready when he returns? This is our responsibility. Jesus Christ 
has given us the warnings and he's offered us the hope. Our job as ministers is to preach these things, but our job as individuals is to believe these things and act on these things. So, brethren, the Feast of Trumpets pictures one of the greatest events that's ever going to take place in the history of the earth. A trumpet is going to be blown. There's going to be things preceding that. But Christ is going to return. His feet are going to stand on the Mount of Olives. And he's going to have a group of people with him that are called. Their mind has been opened to understand the truth. They're chosen probably because they've remained faithful. They didn't quit. They didn't leave. So, brethren, I hope you will have a a very profitable feast of trumpets. Think about why you're here. Thank God for being here. Ask him to lead you and guide you and mold you so that you and I together can be with Jesus Christ when he returns to reign with him in the coming kingdom of God.